We are continuing the series of talks recorded at the Favored Women's Retreat held in our diocese on March 25th. And this week we're sharing my keynote talk called Receiving the Father's Gaze. One of the things that can be really challenging for us in prayer is just being able to sit before God the Father and truly receive the look of love that he has for us without fear or hesitation. And sometimes it can be difficult to be vulnerable before the Lord. We can try to hide our wounds. We can feel like we have to show up before God perfectly. In this talk, I really try to encourage women to reflect on that relationship that they have with God, what it means to receive his loving gaze, and how Mary models for us the way that we can be at peace and have confidence in God's unconditional love. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Life Beyond the Chariot, a faith and family series from the St. Philip Institute. We believe we are called to not only know, but also to live the truth of the gospel within our homes, in our workplaces, and beyond. We believe we are invited to encounter Christ in the messiness of day-to-day life and to live as his disciples. Awesome. Uh, so much joy. So much joy. So, as Sister said, I, I am married to Michael Johnson. Michael is originally from this diocese, and many of y'all have heard me tell this story before. Michael was a seminarian for the Diocese of Tyler, and it is not my fault that he is not a priest. So this is a chalice chipper free zone. Um, Michael and I met on Catholic Match, um, and the timing is just so great. On April 14th of 2010, he announced on Facebook to the, to the diocese, like, hey, I'm leaving the seminary, very grateful for my formation. April 16th, I snatched him up on Catholic Match, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> we got married um, in 2013 um, on St. Faustina's feast day, October 5th. She's my patron saint. Um, and we have four kids who are, I think they're at soccer practice. I think he pulled that off this morning. He's, he is my superhero. Um, and then number five is due in early May. And Jackie and I have similar due dates, but I know like her waddle is very like perfect. It's very like refined. And mine's like, I don't care. Like we're just gonna, here we go. <laughs> I'm doing early May. So yeah, just adjusting to this whole idea of being a mother of five and three of them are gonna be boys. Like I'm one of four girls, like boy energy is just different. Everything is a weapon, it's so great. (laughs) But yeah, very excited to be here. And I've known about this talk for a really long time and every time I I was praying about it or just thinking about like, okay Lord, like what what am I called to share? He kept bringing up this embarrassing story and I was like, Lord, are you sure? I'm supposed to share that, and he's like, yeah, so I guess here we go. (laughs) So when I was in college, I was living at home, and we had a really good friend who, actually, she still lives there across the street, Miss Emma, Um, and she asked me one day, hey, Deanna, can you let my housekeeper into the house? And she gave me a plastic bag with a key in it, and it was like a little piece of paper, and she's like, three o'clock, just let the housekeeper in. I was like, I can do that. I can, confident, yes, so three o'clock, I go over there. Um, Brenda, the housekeeper, is standing there. I open the door and let her in, and immediately I hear beep, beep, beep. And when I grabbed the key, I only grabbed the key. 
And I thought, oh, I bet there was a code on that piece of paper. So I sprinted back across the street, ran back, entered in the code, but the phone rang and I answered it. I was like, hey, I'm so sorry for the delay in putting in the code. Um, and it was like ADT or whatever the company is. And they're like, it's okay, but the police are on their way. Um, I was like, okay, that's fine. She's like, you know, just explain to them what happened. It's fine. Um, Miss Emma had a, a, a the neighbor, her, her son, got in a little bit of trouble with the police in the past, so they were aware of her house. So anytime that alarm went off, like the police were coming, and they were coming quick. So I was like, all right, that's fine. And Brenda's like, I'm gonna just go to the back room and work on the bedroom. And I was like, that's fine. I'm just gonna stand here. I'm gonna wait for the police. So I stand in the middle of the living room, staring at the front door, like trying real hard not to look suspicious. <laughs> like, like, I'm not guilty. I'm not robbing anybody. I'm just gonna like upstanding citizen, right? And it was probably about a minute and I'm still standing there like, okay, what am I gonna say? And all of a sudden I hear from behind me, ma'am, I turn around and there are 10 police officers putting away their weapons. And I was like, of course they wouldn't come through the front door. <laughs> of course, that, was, that makes a lot of sense. Like you, so I explained to them, what happened, they ended up showing them my driver's license and everything was fine. Um, but <laughs> when I think about that story, I think about like how often, like being receptive to God, like I am confidently standing in the wrong direction. I am confident <laughs> that God is gonna follow my 10 point plan because it makes sense, like front door, enter, yes. And God's sneaking behind me, but. It, but his plan always makes more sense, right? We're expecting the Lord to walk in these straight lines. I'm an oldest child. I'm so good at coming up with really great plans, right? And I was like, Lord, just follow. Follow this plan and we'll be fine. And then he surprises us, right? In ways that we didn't even think were possible. And even beyond that, when we talk about like receiving the gaze of the Father, the look of the Father's love and care, sometimes we can show up in prayer expecting God's gaze to look a certain way or to feel a certain way, and it doesn't. He surprises us. We come in to prayer with a lot of assumptions of what God is seeing when he looks at us or who God is seeing when he looks at us, and there's so much of ourselves that can just get in the way of that. And like, let's back up a second and define our terms. And I love how Sister Josephine just came up with like, the best talk titles because receiving the gaze of the Father is so much better than God's looking at you, right? Like, <laughs> so much more gentle, right? <laughs> like receiving the gaze of the Father, right? So breaking open that, that definition of gaze. So according to the Google, gaze to look steadily and intently as with great curiosity, interest, pleasure, or wonder, or in admiration, surprise, or thought. And hopefully, we have all had a positive experience of this, like not just some creepy dude from across a cafe, right, like just staring. Like a gaze is much more intimate and personal, right? It's like I'm seeing you, I'm seeing the whole person. And I know that not all of us are married, not all of us are moms. Um, but I can speak to you from that lens, and I feel like recently, um, just being able to experience um, the gaze of looking upon my children, and just 
it's amazing how our children help us to appreciate and understand the love of the Father. Like, ah, they're just, they're amazing, right? Most of the time. <laughs> and I also think that our children help us to understand, like, I'm sure God has facepalm moments with, my, with me, and, but also like these tear-jerking moments where he's just in awe of who we are. And yesterday, actually, my oldest daughter, Alexandria, she competed in the PSIA story, t storytelling competition for the first time. It was our first experience with PSIA. Um, and I got to see her compete. And I'm watching her, and she has to, I think she has to listen to a story, and then she has to retell it in her own words, um, and bringing in her own elements, and, and basically coming up with a story on the spot. And I'm watching my daughter, just tell this amazing story and I'm just in awe I'm like I made that person like she like eight years ago like she was in my like just in awe of who she is and that she's this unique unrepeatable gift and just watching her kind of come into her own and sharing the gifts that she has like it's amazing I'm biased but it, it was amazing to watch her and I just took so much delight in watching Alexandria be herself and share that gift with other people. She's also extremely extroverted. I am not, like she's walking up to people in the hallway like, hey, how are you? I'm Alexandria, I go to St. Gregory. And I'm like, I'm gonna mind my business and you mind, right? So it's just, it's beautiful to see how these, yes, she's my child, but she's a totally different person. And even with my other children too, like when you get to see them overcome their fears or master a skill or just, just be themselves. My uh, second daughter, Elena, she is a force to be reckoned with. My mom would agree with that, right? She's just a different personality from Alexandria. And I think she's gonna punch somebody one day, but like in the good, like St. Nicholas, punch a heretic kind of way. Like, she's a, she is a force and I'm just praying that God uses it for good, but it brings me so much joy when she stands her ground in front of her siblings, right? And so I, I take a lot of delight in my children, or even after a rough day, like watching my children sleep and just be. They're not doing anything, they're not creating anything, they're just, they're just being, they're just resting there. And how much joy that brings me to just appreciate the gift of who they are. And, and you know, I don't always appreciate it at two in the morning when like Leo shows up and thinks that we're a co-sleeping family and no, but apparently we are, right? But I get to experience that in a really intimate way. And as much delight and as much joy as I take in receiving the gift of my children, that is a drop in the bucket compared to the joy and the delight and the love that the Father feels when he looks at each and every one of us. I mean, consider that for a moment, how much, how deep the love of the Father is. It is more intimate it is full of more love and care and admiration than any look that we could give to any other person, than any other gaze, a loved one, a spouse, our children. That's how deep and intimate the love of the Father is. And when the Father looks at me, it's not just, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me to. Like, we can rattle that off all day long. I think I can do it in sign language from preschool, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. One of five Bible verses I can recite as a Catholic, right? John 3, 16, right? We know these things, right? We know Jesus loves me, God loves me, but moving it from here to the heart, that's what's harder. 
And then we have in 1 John 4, 16 through 19, we have come to know and to believe in the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever remains in love remains in God and God in him. In this is love, in this love brought to perfection among us that we have confidence on the day of judgment because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and so one who fears is not yet perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Not we love because we're doing all the right things, because we're checking all the right boxes, because we're part of the right church, because we're part of the right Bible study, because we're part of the right community. Not we love because fill in the blank. We love because God first loved us. And how often do I sit with that before the Father? How often do I receive that? Do I believe that that's true, that God loves me, and not just in like this generic way, but God loves Deanna. God loves me. God loves you. <laughs> do we hear that? Do we receive that? And why do I even need to receive the gaze of the Father? Why do I even need God to look upon me with love? I mean, God knows what I'm doing all the time. He sees all. He's in all. Why do I need to have like this awareness of God looking at me all the time? Because let's be honest, sometimes I don't want the Father to see me. Sometimes I don't want the Father to look at every nook and cranny of my heart. Sometimes I want God to look at this, but not that. Sometimes I want God to see these bright spots, like, Lord, I'm doing this Bible study. I'm going to Mass every Sunday. I'm part of the right community. But please don't look at this addiction. Please don't look at this struggle. Please don't look at the hatred that I have for a certain person or envy, whatever bad thing. Look at this, Lord, but don't look at that. I'm not ready to talk to you about that. But God wants all of it. God wants all of it. And sometimes it's easy to just get in this mindset, I just want to keep moving forward and just do my thing. Like, I, I know that God loves me. I'm going to Mass. I feel comfortable in that. We can get real comfortable in, I know that God loves me, and this is just good enough, right? But God wants to call us deeper. He wants to call us to something more intimate because I need to receive and experience the love that is in that gaze. I need to receive the love that is in the Father's gaze. Not just like that's bonus content, like when I, when I reach like the next level of sanctity. I need to receive the love of the Father. I need to rest in that gaze. And bringing all of ourselves before the Father and allowing him to look at all of it, all the mess, it forces me to acknowledge that, yeah, I'm weak. I have broken parts of myself. And maybe, I don't know if I can say confidently, you know, God, all my life you have been faithful. Maybe I struggle with that. Maybe I struggle to say, God, I know your love. God, I know that you are love. Maybe I'm angry at God. And the beautiful thing is that God can handle all of that, right? But God wants to see all of that. God wants to see every nook and cranny, every desire, every, every emotion. He wants all of it. 
But what we can do, and we're really good at this, I think especially as women, I think we're really good sometimes at protecting ourselves. And this is not to say you know, that we're weak and fragile or anything like that. There's some strong women in this room, all of y'all, some strong women. But sometimes we can put up these defenses, I think, on our hearts. And we can find comfort in our titles and our identity. There's comfort in attaching our identity to certain offices or jobs or even other people. So in high school and in college, I found myself very often um, introducing myself to people as I'm Deacon Chip's daughter. I'm Deanna, I'm Deacon Chip's daughter. Now, my mom and my sister know this. My dad is a six foot nine, tall, black, bald man, right? So when he walks into a room, like people notice. And I've grown up my entire life with people asking him, like, do you play basketball? How tall are you? I'm this tall. Like, <laughs> you know, dad jokes. Um, but there was some comfort in that, just growing up in the Diocese of Memphis, and as I was getting involved with ministry, I really wanted to, uh, I wanted people to know, like, it's okay, I'm legit. I'm like, I'm Deacon Chip's daughter, right? Like, <laughs> you can trust me, I'm Deacon Chip's daughter. But what I learned over time was that people didn't care that I was Deacon Chip's daughter. People just wanted to get to know me. And then moving into ministry, full-time ministry, um, I was in Dodge City, Kansas. I found myself kind of repeating that cycle. I kind of attached myself to like, well, I'm Deanna Johnson. I work in pastoral ministry and I work with Father Ted. But people just wanted to get to know Deanna. <laughs> and even here, I'm the director of family life. I work for Bishop Strickland. I'm in the St. Philip Institute. It's so easy to put up that wall of like, that's my identity, that is my title. But before I am a wife, before I am a mother, before, especially before I am director of family life, I am Deanna and I'm a beloved daughter of God. That is my core identity. By virtue of my baptism, I am a beloved child of God. And that means something. Right now in our diocese, we're in the year of baptism. And it's a time to like remember that. Like That is my core identity. That's who I'm called to be. And there is nothing more certain or more eternal than that identity as a child of God. But why is that so difficult to find peace with? Why is that so difficult to accept that that's actually enough? Because when, when, we, when we aren't rooted in that identity, when I don't know for certain, my identity is as a child of God, first and foremost, no one can take that from me. It's very easy to focus on what I'm doing. Looking at the externals, looking at comparison, well, my faith isn't like her faith. My motherhood isn't like her motherhood. I don't like crafts. I hate crafts. I hate crafts so much. <laughs> I am not a Pinterest mom. Like, you tell me, oh, this is a do-it-yourself costume. No, it's not. Amazon.com. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I know myself, right? So, like, finding peace with that. But it's so easy to just like, and I think as women, we're, we're really good at that to compare like, well, my Instagram doesn't look like that mom's or I'm not doing liturgical living. Like my Catholic motherhood is very messy. Like y'all come see my Honda Odyssey. There are some things in there. Like I think I found a donut from, I don't know when we had donuts, but it's in there. 
We don't have an altar in our home that's like pristine or, I mean, we've got crucifixes in every room, but there's also other things in every room, right? Like life is just messy and it's so easy to be like, well, God, my motherhood isn't what I think it should be and we should ourselves, right? Or my femininity isn't what it should be. I'm not, I'm not in the vocation that I should be in or I'm listening to all these different voices. Um, I'm not a patient like gentle parenting, what? I don't know. Right, so finding peace in that and having like these obstacles to the gaze and all of that swirls around shame. Like shame is the thing that can hold us captive, not just in the, you know, I'm not doing X, Y, Z thing correctly, but even just looking at the desires of our hearts, like sometimes it can be difficult to even just take the desires of our hearts to the Lord because like God doesn't want to hear that. God doesn't want to hear about like, like my longing for intimacy or my longing for love. Like, I just need to focus on like saying my prayers and showing up at mass and you know checking these boxes. Or that's too dark or too messy for God. I can't give that to Him. This isn't what the Father would want to expect. Or on the other side, maybe I do feel really comfortable in prayer. Maybe I'm really comfortable standing before the Father and saying, you know, Lord, I'm. I want to receive your gaze, but I'm kind of holding something behind me. Like, Lord, just keep looking at, look at this and not that. Don't look at that part of my heart, Lord. And as long as we don't go there, as long as you don't take me there, we're fine because we're comfortable. But God wants all of us. God wants, again, every nook and cranny of our hearts, the dark and the light, because he loves every piece of who we are. Again, maybe we're totally comfortable with the Father's gaze, but maybe there's more. Maybe there's a place where God is calling us deeper because we're, we're all sinners. Like, surprise, like, we're all sinners, right? We're all in need of the, the love and the mercy of the Father. And there's places in our hearts that need to be healed that we may not even be aware of. For some of us, it's like, no, I'm real aware of where I'm weak, Lord. I'm really aware of where you're calling me deeper or where you're, you, you need to do some heart surgery on me. But maybe for some of us, like we're not even aware of those places in our hearts where healing is needed. And it's time to ask. It's time to ask and fully receive the gate. Like, Lord, take me to places that might be uncomfortable. Like, I'm, I'm ready to receive you, Lord, but I don't know what we're going to find. <laughs> Lord, I don't know what you're going to see when you look at me, but finding peace in that. And today is the Feast of the Annunciation, and we look at um, Luke's Gospel, and we see our Blessed Mother um, receiving the Father's gaze. Like, it's such a beautiful example of that, and she models what this means. And if you're like me, you may have struggled <laughs> with Mary as a model of feminine, because she's perfect, right? She's the perfect mom. She had a perfect toddler. Like, <laughs> gentle parenting was very easy for her, right? But Mary models receptivity in a very strong way, right? Receptivity is not weak. But what makes Mary's fiat, that thing that we're, that, her yes, the thing that makes her fiat so powerful is that she says that because she is confident in who she is, in whose she is. 
mean, think about that. Could Mary have said yes if she didn't have total trust that God was trustworthy? Could Mary have received the gaze of the Father and the gift of the Father and been it? Because she could have said no. Like, we acknowledge that. Our faith acknowledges that Mary had the freedom to say no, but she didn't. But what made her yes so powerful was that she knew whose she was and who she was in the eyes of the Father. She is rooted in her identity. And the fruit of that is her fiat. Her ability to say, Lord, let it be done unto me according to thy word. She can hear those words, hail highly favored one, and know that it's not a lie. <laughs> it's not just like some nice words, but it's a call to this is, this is who you are, this is whose you are, and she can trust it. When I think about receiving the Father's gaze and you know, what is the fruit of that, like what can come from that in our own lives, I mean, peace and joy for sure, our vocations can flourish, but total healing can happen too. And it's not to say like, you know, everyone's broken, everyone's, but we are, like we're all a mess. <laughs> like when we, when we really think about it, we all have places that need healing, like we were saying before. But to receive the Father's gaze is to allow, allow the Father, to allow Jesus to look at us. And I know many of you have probably watched The Chosen. One of the things that I really like about that show, as I'm working my way through it, is that Jesus looks at people. We get to experience that in a different way. Like, you're not just like glossing over it in scripture. But when Jesus heals someone, he's looking at them. He's not just like, oh yeah, let me just heal your leprosy. Like he encounters the leper in the road, they make eye contact, they have a conversation, and Jesus sees all of this man's wounds. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. God, just, God wants to look at us, not in the sense of like, yeah, let me just fix that character defect in you or that vice. God wants you. God wants all of you. He wants to receive all of you not just the shiny, pretty pieces. God wants to receive everything because when we allow the Father to look at us, healing can happen. So in this afternoon, as we have time for prayer, I invite you to rest in that. Like, what does it feel like to receive the Father's gaze? Am I comfortable there? Am I too comfortable there? Do I not want the Father to look at me at all? Is this an opportunity to go to confession, to ask God to, to remove the obstacles? What are the places that I need to surrender? And where is God calling me deeper? And I want to close with Psalm 139 because I think it is, it's such a beautiful prayer um, to remind us of just how, how deep um, God knows us, how intimately God knows us. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and stand. You understand my thoughts from afar. My travels and my rest you mark. With all my ways you are familiar. Even before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it all. Behind and before you encircle me and rest your hand upon me. Such knowledge is beyond me, far too lofty for me to reach. Where can I hide from your spirit, from your presence? Where can I flee? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I lie down in Sheol, you are there too. 
if I fly with the wings of dawn and a light beyond the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand holds me fast. If I say, surely darkness shall hide me and night shall be my light, darkness is not dark for you and night shines as the day. Darkness and light are but one. You formed my inmost being. You knit me in my mother's womb. I praise you so wonderfully you made me. Wonderful are your works. My very, my very self you knew. My bones were not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret fashions in the depths of the earth, your eyes foresaw my actions. In your book all are written down. My days were shaped before one came to be. How precious to me are your designs, O oh God. How vast the sum of them. Probe me, God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my concerns. See if my way is crooked, then lead me in the ancient paths. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.